0: Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late change the train. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work.
1: It's Employee of
0: the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And for the first time in a while, I feel hope again. And it's it's really um, exciting. And I, I was terrified to do Employee of the Month in 2017. How am I going to do this when once Donald Trump came into office and issued all of these terrifying bans and continues to do so, that is the world going to explode or just my head? One of the two is definitely going to happen. And I still feel that terror, that risk is still there, but I also feel hope. And part of that is because I am bringing you so many interviews with people who have devoted their lives in ways that I, I can't express, but we will, you will see in these interviews um, to do good. And it's in their work and in addition what they do outside of their jobs. And I'm just, I'm really thrilled to bring these points of light, even if it's just cathartic for you to listen to them or just fun. Fine. I'm happy for that. Um, I'm really excited to kick off this episode um, telling you about another way that you can feel fulfilled and that is by eating healthy. That's right. Blue Apron. Blue Apron comes to your house. They bring food. They bring delicious food. Um, What made me excited about them actually is that they have responsibly sourced fish. I'm pulling out the paper right now That tells me, from Blue Apron, it says, Seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. I have their app on my phone. I never look at it, but I downloaded it so it was the first step in the right direction. And they also have beef, chicken, and pork coming from responsibly raised animals. I am assuming that these animals went to very good schools and have a strong moral compass i i want to encourage you to check out blue apron um i'm actually really excited that they make meals you like this is it's almost spring everyone's going to be dating maybe you're still cold from winter because the weather is all over the place and you want to just snuggle up at home you can order blue apron maybe you have kids and you're like there is no way no way i can possibly get a meal together. Now you can with Blue Apron. So if you check out this week's menu, you get the first three meals free. That is three meals free. And I'm happy to come over and eat them with you with free shipping by going to blueapron.com E-O-M. That's E as in elephant, O as in octopus, and M as in marsupial. I like to make it really difficult whenever I'm on <laughs> the phone with the telemarketer and they um, want me to spell out the word. I try to find really... In fact, I wouldn't even do elephant. I would do elephantitis in that, in that sense. But anyways, go. Go to blueapron.com EOM. The slash EOM lets them know that you heard about their incredible home-cooked meals from Katie Lazarus, an employee of the month. And if you go to blueapron.com EOM, you will find a better way to cook. And you can look like you're a really fancy chef. You can say you also read about it in the New York Times. But go to BlueApron.com slash EOM to find out more about Blue Apron. Order. See how it goes. Like, try it for a little bit. It's supposed to be $10 per person per meal. Sounds pretty good, especially by New York standards. That's BlueApron.com EOM. When you're done going to BlueApron.com, you can come back and listen, or you can even keep this on in the background so you can order online. Um, I'm really, really thrilled to bring you this episode. It was recorded live at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater, and I got to speak with Alan Alda. You might know the seven-time Emmy Award-winning actor from M.A.S.H. or Crimes and Misdemeanors. Um, You may have seen him or should go see him in *Horace and Pete, which you can also get online. which feels like a series of plays by a a little-known comedian, just kidding, by a very rarefied um, or at least idealized and also very funny comedian, uh, Louis C.K. He's um, the golden age of comedy right now is also the golden age of Louis C.K. And when you watch Horse and Pete, you'll see um, why. Uh, It's a really phenomenal show. And it's a really great way to say, oh, okay, I can afford to go off and experiment and I'm going to do so. Um, and he really does do that. I feel like there's all these ways to tell yourself I can't experiment. Either I'm really successful, so I got to keep with my brand, um, or I'm just trying to break in and therefore I really shouldn't, uh, try to figure out what the Muppet inside my head is really saying I should try. Luckily for us, Alan Alda doesn't seem to suffer from that itis. He continues to, um, Brave New bounds, And I I, want to just give you a little bit of background about Alan for those of you who may not know. Um, His father was a great performer. Um, He was best known in the theater world. Um, He was in Guys and Dolls on Broadway, and he originated the role of Sky Masterson. Um, But Alan grew up in the uh, burlesque world, and his mother also suffered from schizophrenia, and he has been a real role model for people... um, who are afflicted by mental illness and who have family members who are because he's been so candid about it in um, two of his books. And he now has a third book that's coming out that I'm really thrilled about, um, which is called If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? It's called If I Understood You, Would I Have This Look on My Face? You're going to have to uh, imagine Alan reading those lines because my Alan Alda impression – sounds like my mom, because I'd say about 30% of my impressions are my mom. Well, they're not really my mom, are they? I mean, are they? I don't know, sweetheart. But it's all about his adventures in the art and science of relating and communicating. And I have never, ever in my life, and I have done so many benefits and hosted a a ton of them. I've never, ever seen someone say, okay, I've got a lot of money, which he made from writing and directing and starring in MASH, namely, as well as numerous other productions, but but mainly from that, and said, what can I do with this? How can I give back in a way that is necessary, thoughtful, and um, tangible? And he, he did by um, working with Stony Brick University to create the Alan Alda um, Center for Communicating Science. I agree. That name is it's a little clunky. It's very academic, but what they're doing is teaching scientists and doctors how to communicate effectively. I've been on every single side. I worked in public health. Um, I, the person closest to me, I witnessed how doctors treated her terribly, and I myself, as a patient, have also gone through the medical maze, and it is awful. It is awful when people um, are obtuse or just simply refuse to talk to you about really necessary issues um, and and sort of just want to shy away from their own humanity. And the problem is it's just not rewarded um, in our medical system. And so I'm so thrilled that Alan has found a way to work with scientists, take his background in improv comedy, um, and find ways to allow scientists and doctors to actually have a chance to even speak. Because on the flip side, the um, healthcare industry is set up so that they reward uh, publishing, uh, fancy grants and awards, and gaining research dollars, and um, running like factories, and treating patients um, as widgets. Um, so really, really thrilled we spoke about that. We spoke about empathy, and he gave me so much hope that all we need to do is reward empathy. It doesn't seem so hard, right? We can do that. And it was also a lot of fun. I just wanted to let Alan know when he listens to this episode that my dog, Lady, is here. She's very healthy and doing really well. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with the one and only Alan Alda. If
0: you shake hands to everybody, they keep applauding longer. Okay. It's, it's just a tip. I'm telling you, it works great. And then you go down, you shake hands with the audience, then they go crazy. Man. Then the band applauds.
1: Now, fake news is something that's coming in, for a lot of people, it's the first time they're learning about it, but yeah. you knew about fake news um, when you were a, a little kid. You were the subject of a fake news story.
0: That's right. I never made that connection. That's very, <laughs> My father was in Burlesque, and the company used to travel from town to town, and I was about two and a half, and he wanted to get... The company into the newspaper to get more people to come to the theater, so he took a picture of me holding a pipe, smoking a pipe, two and a half. Oh, is it up there? That's me, yeah. And the article with the article with the picture said his parents consulted a doctor, and the doctor said it's not going to hurt him if he doesn't smoke too much. <laughs> He doesn't smoke in excess. And they made up the doctor and what he said, and uh, I didn't smoke actually, but I did drink beer at that age. Wow. Yeah, just a little bit. So just wh- enough to slur my speech. <laughs>
1: I was so grateful when you you wrote in, um, well, you have two books out, you're about to have another one, but you you wrote about your childhood and um, I'm guessing that it wasn't the textbook model for um, Dr. Spock later. Um,
0: (laughs) Not even Mr.
1: Spock. (laughs) Not even for Mr. Spock. (laughs) I just wanted to hear about what it was like growing up your father was this huge actor you grew up in you know The burlesque scene and your mom was suffering oh, yeah. he from He wasn't illness. real
0: huge when in burlesque. He was he was a straight man they, they said he was a good straight man They thought he was the best straight man around and he was a singer and he would sing over on the side of the stage During the opening number while the chorus girls were parading around half-naked so they called that that uh, the person who had that job had a real title that was oh, wow. that title was used all over burlesque. He was called the Tit singer." <laughs> now, that that was an actual category you, when you go to the unemployment office, they say, "What do you do?"
1: <laughs> he wrote that on his taxes yeah,
0: it's taxes right <laughs> and uh, nobody paid much attention to him while the chorus girls were out there, but he was a good uh, uh, Straight man and brought me out on stage for the first time when I was six months old. You're smoking a pipe? <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't. Re- that was just for the fake news. <laughs> but I, I was, um, I used to watch from the wings, you know, you learn an enormous yeah. amount watching from the wings. That's how I really learned stuff because if you watch from the audience, you see how the illusion looks from, from the audience once it's created. But when you're in the wings, you watch how it's created. You see what they go through to... to. You see when they take off on a, an improvised riff. You know, right. it's really exciting t- from the wings.
1: I couldn't believe that. So when you were 17, I this is before the Compass players, but you were with the, um, I want to say, Kenley?
0: Oh, oh, the Kenley, yeah, the Kenley players. He was a great guy, John Kenley. And we had, he had a theater... Forget what town it was, but it was not far from Mocc Chunk, Pennsylvania.
1: Yes, yeah. The, I guess I anybody here well. from Mocc Chunk tonight? <laughs> Woo!
0: Woo! Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was that was, and I I played the uh, leading parts, and I was I also painted the scenery, and it was a wonderful experience.
1: I read that when you were seventeen, you had your sort of first starring role in that, um, and you were opposite a woman who was naked. Um, oh yeah. The burlesque yeah, star right.
0: Rose Larose. Rose Larose. La Rose. Yeah, I couldn't White get cargo. out of burlesque even when I was on stage. Yeah. She was she we, she did a play called White Cargo and she played Tundeleo and at the end of the play she uh, she comes around the corner of the of the stage to to meet me first a hand comes onto the scenery and then she comes out, and she's half naked and she says I am Tandileo. and You know she's going to ruin my life. <laughs> And then the curtain comes down But the curtain came down and she kept walking And I wasn't even 17, I was 16 Oh wow And I was I, kind of unfamiliar with this
1: <laughs> Unlike most 60-year-olds Yeah, year and she,
0: she had been a stripper And, and sometimes I think it's, um, it's an occupational hazard of strippers Or maybe it's why they go into the business They like to tease people <laughs> <laughs> So she threw her arms around me And, and I was really uh, embarrassed I'm a little nervous sitting next to you. <laughs> I mean, it's not just not just your bare shoulders; it's the glitter all over. <laughs> Is that? Do you press a button and it lights up? It? It
1: just, I just <laughs> dazzle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I didn't mean to interrupt you.
1: No, I, I was no. M- no. Much I, sometimes
0: I answer you. questions, and I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: <laughs> it was. It, you're allowed. You're okay. among. You're among your uh, Jews. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> If you, can get, if you can get me to stop talking, people will be impressed. You know,
0: I think I I am Jewish. I mean, actually, there are people who think I'm Jewish, but I'm I wasn't uh, born that way. I'm not officially Jewish.
1: You're you're you're. I
0: think uh, I'm genetically Jewish. You're
1: the best kind because you're actually Italian, which is what we wish yeah, we were. Yeah, but I so. think I'm
0: an Italian Jew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, is that true?
0: Yeah, I think so. That's really nice. Yeah. 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 And
1: you're tall. You've got everything.
0: Yeah. As far as Jews go, we're a little late. So good night.
1: (laughs) Um, I I did before we sort of venture into theater talk. I did want to hear about racetrack betting. That 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 was something you did as a job.
0: When when Arlene and I, it wasn't quite a job. Okay, I had a compulsion, and when when my wife Arlene and I were newly married, to figure out a system for betting. I don't like betting. I never liked betting. But I wanted to I don't
1: like betting, and I so I just don't do it. So you had to like it a little bit.
0: No, I wanted to find a system that didn't include betting. Okay. In other words, you could go and it was a sure thing. <laughs> totally. So different. I said I was young, right? <laughs> so I did months of research. I'd fall asleep on the race results, and I'd wake up at six in the morning not having really slept. And finally, Arlene said, "Stop all this. Go." Go to the track and get it it over with. So I took all the money we had in the bank. (laughs) But I had a hack license in my pocket, so the next day I could get a job in case I lost everything. So it was a system called the Martingale, which I didn't realize when I did a little more research, I found out that great fortunes had been lost with this system. (laughs) Because you double your bet each time. So the first time you bet $2, within about 12 or 15 bets, you're betting a million or something.
1: Like you're going to give me an aneurysm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the first race I bet, lost the $2. Second race, lost $4. Then I lost $16. And finally, it was the final race. And I had already bet about 250 okay. And now I have to bet another 250 And the horse comes in.
1: Amazing. <laughs>
0: And for the next month or two months, I went to the track every day and came home with 20 or $30 profit.
1: It's not bad. It's better than doing theater.
0: Yeah, well, I finally got a job in Summerstock, and I left the track, and I gave the bankroll to Arlene's father, who had introduced me to the track. And he uh, was closed down at the window. He would have won, but he was closed down. got there a little too late. Lost the bankroll. And I think neither one of us gambled again after that.
1: But that's good. okay, that's the that's the yeah. right lesson to learn. It's not
0: gambling is not good. It's kind of it's kind of silly.
1: No shit. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, but I, I didn't think I was gambling. That's even sillier.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's, but so that's the kind of delusion I think one needs for uh, acting as well.
0: No, I think you have to be awake and aware, and okay. believe. And you know that thing about believing—it's an—it's an act of imagination. It's a conscious thing, in my opinion.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you would I know. Th-
0: I think you'd be sort of you'd semi-insane if you really thought you were the person. Although sometimes it takes over. Sometimes I was about to play a bad guy, and I'd notice myself yelling at people
1: and becoming personifying that character. Yeah. Yeah. In real life. But
0: that, that's, that's, that's not good. I mean, I don't aspire to that.
1: Yes. Um, well, that's an easy thing not to
0: aspire to, right? No. Um, don't get me started.
1: <laughs> but I did want to ask, like, I always assume that people who have theater training are better actors. Do I just tell myself that to feel better about not making as much money or?
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. I think it depends. There are some actors who can do things on film. Yeah. and that's all the experience they have and other people can't do on film what they can do it's you have to get used to a different rhythm of working yeah and uh, but when they often if they have no experience on the stage and they go on stage after years on film very hard to make the transition but I'm because I started out on the stage as a baby yeah I'm much more comfortable on the stage than I am in front of a camera you don't you don't have a camera here i hope
1: Uh, We do, but (laughs) I believe this is from your first Broadway production, The Owl and the the Pussycat. It
0: was the first one I had a leading part in. It was The Owl and the Pussycat. That's Diana Sands, uh, who unfortunately died at a very young age. And and, uh, I loved that show. We had a wonderful time doing it. I worked my way up from little parts to... Bigger and bigger parts.
1: Can I also ask about, like, the cadence in comedies? Like, I was watching um, the Phil Silver show. I was watching a clip of it with um, from with Bilko.
0: Oh, oh, the Phil I, Silver yeah, show. I
1: have a little clip of you, you in it. You do? Yeah, because I, I thought it was your first TV role, and I was just curious about the cadence, if people really spoke that way. I'll, let's play the little cl- clip of it.
0: Oh, All right, yeah, get out of this house and stay. Up. Who's that? My dad. That suits me fine. I can't get out fast enough. I don't need your money. I don't need your house. Paula,
1: what are you doing? That's your father. Go on in there and apologize.
0: And when you leave, take all of those silly, stupid doctors, will you? Don't worry, you'll never see them or me in this house again. Don't mind him, sir. He's a bit hysterical. I'll, uh, put <laughs> together. I finally stood up to him. Oh, father knows best. Oh, you don't know him, Ernie. Right. I'm leaving this house forever. you will talk it over. I got a lovely room with the fire. Come on upstairs. Oh no, Ernie! I'm not going to let you stay another minute in this house. Oh, that you got this all wrong. Your father's mad at you. He ain't mad at me. Come on. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. I finally had enough of this. Benton, we're leaving. Your bags. Sir. Where are we going? Don't worry, we'll find a place. Well, look, aren't you being a little hysterical?
1: Tell Marie to keep that fire going. I'll be back.
0: A little overwrought, don't you think?
1: <laughs> that's how they were, though, when we were when I was young. I mean, that's like I remember watching Robin Williams, and as a kid, I just thought it was the greatest thing in in the world. And he was very loud and very big.
0: I didn't know what I said. I couldn't understand it. It was a little too fast.
1: It was, too, but that, I was curious. Like the cadence of the speaking was very, very, very. You fast. know
0: what was funny about doing that show? I, Phil Silvers was one of the people who carried me on stage when I was six months old. So that was a very sweet thing for him to have me on the show, but. I had come from the stage where you get to rehearse for a few weeks, and then yeah. you go on, right? And I would always learn it by doing it, by rehearsing it. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get familiar with it, but I couldn't learn things off a page. I still can't. It's very hard for me to do. I have to do it. Yeah. So I went in there, not really knowing anything, and they say, okay, get up in front of the camera and act. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I had to, I had to learn it in ten minutes, and it was it was a scary experience.
1: But that's what I find. I mean, one of the many things I find so impressive of you is your ability to be both a natural comedian and then also be a very serious actor, and they're very different schools.
0: Well, yeah, but I I, I mean, it's first of all, I love funny, and and I also love uh, serious stuff, and I don't think. I don't know. How how do you feel about this? To me, a story isn't interesting unless it recognizes that we're all going to die.
1: Yeah. I like my humor dark.
0: Don't don't you think so? Yeah. Or at the very least, your dog will die.
1: That, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we have to go there.
0: Well, you... You, well, it's more traumatizing it's little, to everyone here. Wait, you Soon. don't you don't personally mind dying, but it's not good I'm for your I'm okay dog.
1: with me, and I don't want to think about it in terms of my dog.
0: Take me, you say.
1: Yes, oh, absolutely, in a heartbeat. Right. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Well, I think I've been, it's so weird to, to me that everybody who's alive on the planet right now is going to be replaced by a whole layer yes. of other people. Yeah. Within 100 years or 120 years, nobody who's here now is going to be here. Yes. And we go through our lives kind of ignoring that. Yeah. That's the one thing we can be sure of. Yeah. So I know it's a strange thing. And I, you know, I almost died 13 years ago. Yeah, in Chile. Yeah. And that made a really nice impression on me. Because when I woke up after the operation, I woke up alive. It was really nice. Yes. <laughs> no, I recommend that.
1: <laughs> how? How? I mean, that's the, the thing is that I think without experiencing um, a seri- well, here's the question I have: is how do we create empathy without having
0: trauma? I'm not sure trauma brings empathy. I think okay. I, I think you have to get empathy by. Being introduced to the pleasures of it. Okay. It really, it really is more Ooh, fun I, to be. Able, brilliant. Yeah, well, it is more fun to be empathic than to be shielded and cut off from. Because one of the things is the more empathic you get, you know, yeah. I've I covered this a lot in the book that I just wrote.
1: He, he, and, you wrote a book, I'm just going to read the title, I'm not going to bring it out. Um, if I understood you, would I have this look on my face? My adventures in the art and science of relating and communicating, and it's about um, communicating with doctors and scientists
0: and people. What I learned from from helping scientists and doctors communicate better, which I've been doing for like almost twenty years now, we've, we've I have a center, the center, the, uh, all the center for communicating science at Stony Brook University, and uh, we've trained over seven thousand scientists and doctors but what we found doing that is that it really applies to everybody husbands and wives and
1: And that child right there
0: right I mean when I when I hear a a sound like that I think what's what's he or she going through what's what's happening there what's what's going on why what's causing that sound is it pleasure is it a problem and that the more I have learned to think about what the other person is feeling and thinking, Yeah. the more in touch I am with my own feelings, it's one of the attributes of empathy. I mean, scientists who have studied this have found this out, it's not my opinion. and It helps you, it's the basis of being able to talk to another person and be understood and achieve an understanding with the other person. You can't do it if you don't pay attention to where they are and who they are, what they're feeling, what they're thinking.
1: Can empathy be taught, do you think?
0: Yes, there are people who teach it successfully. We teach it successfully. Yeah. And we start with improvising. We we teach doctors and scientists improvisation games and exercises. And what it, it's not to make them quick on their feet or to make them fun. We're not trying to turn them into comedians or actors.
1: We, we don't have enough of those.
0: No, no. <laughs> but what we try to do... Is introduce them to the pleasure of connecting, so that when they try to explain quantum physics to you, they can see by looking at your face whether yeah. whether or not they're coming in too, too early in the process, too late in the process. Where, how can they? Is, do they have an image that's that makes sense to you, and that kind of thing?
1: It is so um, poignant the work that you're doing and, and ensuring that um, they feel comfortable communicating because it. To me, I would imagine, like, even if you're brilliant academically, if you cannot communicate to your patients or to your students, then you're not being able to share what you're doing.
0: That's the thing. And what we find is when they come alive to this experience, they're so happy to be connected and to be able to tell their story in a way that's received by the people they're talking to. Yeah. That they that they really there's a there's a relief that sets in because it really we're social animals and it feels much better to be connected than not.
1: Yes. Yes, no, I'm so glad that you're doing this work. I think it's interesting just because doctors more than anyone are they're the only people who know what they're doing in their 20s for the most part. I mean, they go to you know, they have a <laughs> they go to school and then they have a job. I mean, they they haven't had the same type of uncertainty that every other profession has and I think that having even a window into what it's like to not have a job or to not know what's coming next is really important when treating people with illnesses and things like that that you know there's so much uncertainty with
0: so they, they should just be working as doctors while they're waiting to become movie stars
1: yeah yeah, that's the tip that's the tip um, can I, can I um, switch gears to ask you a, a question
0: I thought you were doing that already <laughs> I w- Have I been answering sentences?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had a question, a question related to your career as an actor, what? <laughs> as a movie star. I, well, as a TV star, I was going to ask, were, um, what was it like being a, a big sex symbol in in MASH? What
0: do you mean, was?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs>
0: So what's your point with these pictures?
1: <laughs> I imagine it must have been a lot of fun, but also overwhelming to, to be a big star.
0: It was very difficult for me because I wasn't used to that. And and I uh, sort of took pleasure in just living in what I thought was a regular life. But when you get to be really well-known the way I was when MASH hit, yeah, it was difficult. People would pull at me in the street and some god buddy would yank at me and say hey Ralph look at this look what I got here <laughs> like you're a hunk of meat right right well we all are a hunk of meat yes It's gonna die
1: <laughs> I almost forgot for a moment yeah. I was having a momentary you know you see how relief.
0: you you just veer away from <laughs> it the first you opportunity brought me back. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you brought me back speaking of death let's talk about Woody Allen um <laughs> So Crimes and Misdemeanors, I read that um, your character, Lester, was based on um, Larry Gelbart, the first writer of of MASH? Not
0: that I know of. No, I think he based it a little on Steve Allen. Oh. Who used to always carry, he carried a little recorder in each pocket. And in the middle of talking to you, he'd pull out the recorder and start dictating a line for his next book. Amazing. And then he had a team of stenographers who would write up the book.
1: Well and some of the quote I mean I didn't realize that um you know the famous quote uh tragedy plus t- comedy is tragedy plus time Yeah that I don't
0: know where that came from do oh.
1: you I was uh, like it was in the film
0: <clears throat> No I mean originally I think it's an old saying
1: Okay that's what I had thought and then I was like Yeah and then, and
0: that and, and Barry uh Gilbert If it's funny it if it if it if it bends it's funny if it breaks it's not yeah, And right. people stop me on the street and state I say that And and uh, now, after a, a, a lifetime of, you know, I did, I mean, I did this commercial because Cygnus said they were going to save lives by getting people to go to their doctors. So I did this commercial.
1: This is not the Atari commercial.
0: No, no, this is just lately. It's all, oh, I wow. play it over and over again. It's people, actors who used to play doctors. and then it, I, Amazing. And then at the end, and we're just trying to get people to get their checkups. So that okay. seemed like a good reason to do it. So at the end, I say to them, all these actors, I say, Dr. Poses, and we all pose like doctors. After 50 years, 60 years of being a serious actor, people stop me on the street and say, Dr. Poses!
1: <laughs> I, I, I mean, you've done so many brilliant works, but I...
0: I no, but nothing tops Dr. Poses.
1: Dr. Poses is the best.
0: There is a certain... The way I say it, you can t- just tell you're going to die. <laughs>
1: Understand why Louis C.K. cast you in Horace and Pete as the character that he cast you as. And I would love to show people who don't know about the show, can I just show a little snippet yeah, from it? Yeah,
0: I love Horace and Pete. Just from the time he was a baby, he was like in a parade marching behind his dick. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this one time he was, he was playing uh, in a Little League, you know, when he was about six... And I was the coach of his team, you know, and Horace was out there in right field. So right away, you know how good he was, right? Because how many kids can hit a weight to right? So every day, he's out there picking his nose, and he's staring off, you know. And this one day, he comes running over to the dugout, and he says, Uncle Pete, Uncle Pete, I gotta make a pee-pee. He said, get the fuck back on the field. What are you doing? he says, Timeout! Peter, make a I said, I don't care if you got to make a doo doo, Horace. <laughs> you little prick, get back out there on the field. So he starts crying, like, oh. So I, you know, I got called time out. I called the yeah, ump time out. You know, and then I go over to Horace and I say, okay, I called time out. Now you can go take a leak. Well, I mean, you know, what am I going to do? He's my nephew, you know, and he's crying and everything. I say, okay, honey, you got to go to the toilet, you go ahead. He's still crying. So I said, what the fuck is the matter with you? You said you wanted to make a pee-pee, now go make a pee-pee. And he says, Uncle Pete, Uncle Pete, it's too late. And he's covered with piss all over his pants. Leon, I'm telling you, he was covered and it was all smelly. (laughs) You remember that, Horace? You remember that when you pissed your pants a little? (laughs) That was a killer. Leon, I'm telling you. (laughs) I talked slower that time. (laughs) I love uh, Horace and Pete. Louis C.K. is really brilliant, and he wrote it and directed it and acted in it, and it was such a treat. He cast it with such wonderful people.
1: It feels like plays, you know, with Laurie Metcalf and Edie Falco and Steve Buscemi and and Stephen Wright, who was actually my first guest on Employee of the Month seven years ago.
0: He's a very nice guy.
1: And a brilliant comedian, and he's totally bananas. He, um... Stuff's, like, all of his money in tinfoil. So, like, I did the interview with him, and he had all these, like, balls of tinfoil all over his car with, like, change in it. So when I sent my thank you note, I wrapped it in tinfoil. <laughs> did he
0: ever explain why he does no, it? No, I
1: mean, well, what do you I mean, that's, if you're looking for logic there, that's, that's a problem.
0: That's so weird. <laughs> What's the connection between weirdness and extreme talent? What do you think? Well... I don't he, think there is necessarily. I
1: one. don't think so either. Although I will say, it's funny in his case, because his comedy is like a mathematician. Yeah. And his, his jokes, I don't... Does, do you guys know Stephen Wright? Does anyone remember Stephen uh, Wright? And <coughs> so in his case, it feels more like he's creating these beautiful mathematical equations. Every
0: day, almost, I think of his joke, where he says, last night, people came into my house and moved all the furniture... And before I woke up, they put it right back again.
1: I love that you've been able to um, be a mensch and play all of these like irascible and um, you know terrible characters.
0: Well, oh, thank you.
1: It's a skill, I think, to be able to to be a good egg and get it all out on the page, well, all I'm, the pathos yeah. out in your work.
0: Yeah, but like everybody, I'm a normal person. I have uh, flaws and everybody has flaws. I think we're all made up of a lot of spare parts that we rearrange to put together to be able to play any kind of character. And the thing is, it's not whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. It's what you want. And and if what you want is something really antisocial, then you can be classified as a bad guy. But you still have other needs you still love your poor dog who's about to go any minute. It's like a
1: heartbreaking interview, Alan. I was really excited to meet you, and I'm a little traumatized. You see what I
0: mean? I, now that I got this thing, this way to get you, I can't resist. You know? <laughs> one, time, one time, my wife Arlene had a, an operation, and I visited her in the hospital. I couldn't resist making her laugh. I couldn't stop. And she says, my stitches, don't do it. So, you know, I'm, I'm not as nice as they say. No.
1: no. But you, you were on the cover of Ms. you were on the cover of yeah. People. In fact, you were the third, I think the third most admired man after the Pope and Ronald Reagan I don't understand
0: that about the Pope.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I think that year he did something special and he got <laughs> in ahead. you know. There, there was a bigger crowd for me. I know that.
1: Well, you, you can be very competitive. Um, I am
0: competitive on the tennis court, but then I forget who won. I mean, I, I just like the, I like the be in the moment, you know, of yeah. seeing if I can do it.
1: I, and I also found out that you're very competitive at ladder ball and that you're wearing oh, Google glasses. Oh, ladder ball. Glasses. I love
0: ladder ball. Yeah. Does anybody know what ladder ball is? I have is? a
1: picture of you here getting ready to beat all these uh, 40-year-olds, which, you know... Which you did. I think you yeah, won well, the ladderball classic yeah, tournament I, in the every, Hamptons. Everybody was saying, "Anyone to there?" Us, what? I was wondering if anyone went to the ladderball classics in the yeah. Hamptons. I,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Alan yeah. Alda won.
0: Everybody was all these people in their thirties were saying, "Oh, uh, don't hurt yourself now playing this game. You know, we'll, we'll <laughs> take your time. We beat everybody so badly." <laughs>
1: Um, Well, with that competitive spirit, I would like to make you a uh, member of the tribe. You've earned it. Um, So this certificate is presented to Alfonso Joseph D'Abruzzo upon joining the congregation of the Atheist Branch of Theater Science, Italian Food, and Therapy Loving Jews.
0: Oh, isn't that nice? Thank you. You just made that up while we were talking. You found out I was (laughs) Jewish a second ago.
1: (laughs) That's right. Um, and I know that you love science, and I know yeah. that you had um, you have a ton of books. So I didn't know if you had "I Contain Multitudes." No,
0: I. Don't. Oh, this is about microbes. Yes. I love microbes. <laughs> don't you love microbes? Yeah. Listen, listen. The microbes <laughs> in my elbow are more like the microbes in your elbow than they are like the ones in my palm. Oh wow! They're all special to a location, and there are probably. I think ten, 10 times as many microbial cells in our body than human cells. Wow. How about that? And we wouldn't even live without the microbes in our gut. So is we're, kombucha... We're, living, is we're kombucha, living with these animals, and we don't even know about them.
1: Is kombucha worth drinking, or it's just not?
0: Mucho? Kombucha? <laughs> What's that?
1: It's like a, it's like a high pre- price, like vinegar that kind of tastes a little acidic. and makes you sick, but then you feel like you're doing something good.
0: Is this one of those new age drinks from yeah. Venus?
1: Yeah. From yeah.
0: Williamsburg. Yeah. Oh, oh, from Williamsburg. No, I never heard of it.
1: Um, we got you some delicious treats from Russ and Daughters oh, as well. Oh,
0: is there herring in here?
1: There is th- no. Well,
0: here, here <laughs> never mind. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Because I know that you have been I've been learning about Einstein from you Because he sounds like he was a terrible lover and a terrible he, was, he
0: thought he was a great lover But yeah. he was mean to his women He
1: was horrible to
0: women. Terrible Yeah.
1: Um, and um. a notebook Because I hope you never stop writing I'm so happy oh, I love your book so you. much I know it's coming out in June Now what,
0: do I take this whole crate yes, home?
1: not the crate just, just the shopping bag from thank the Park Slope Co-op That way you can... Regain your status as a cultural icon as part of the liberal elites poster child. Um, You are that for the ERA generation and you are for my generation as well. Thank you for being such a mensch and a wonderful human being. Oh good, you have your thing. That's it for this episode. I want to thank... All of you for listening. Thanks to Alan Alda. Thanks to Rob Schulte. Thanks to Joe's Pub, and thank you to BlueApron.com again. Go to BlueApron.com/slash-eom. BlueApron.com/slash-eom to find out about Blue Apron and find out ways that you can get your first three meals free. Three free meals sounds pretty good. I'm ready to come over and eat them. Um, And I will talk to you guys all next week. We are going to be coming weekly uh, for now on. So. I'll look for you at another episode. I'll, I'll wait for you to, you know, log on and listen wherever you like to get your podcast. Thanks so much. I'm Katie Lazarus. Bye.